0: Hello, Acquired listeners. We had a great limited partner show with Wade Foster, the co-founder and CEO of Zapier last week. We wanted to share a few segments with you all where we talk about being in the right place at the right time for the no-code movement and frankly, helping to invent it, pioneering a remote culture, and how to value remote companies, and also how to get some clarity on the right and wrong ways to pronounce Zapier. We hope you enjoy. So Wade, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Can we just get a quick clarification? It is it is definitely pronounced Zapier, right? Like it's super classy.
1: <laughs> yeah, the fancy version. Uh, Zapier makes you happier. That's the trick we we go with. But you know, when you're when you're in the early days, the the second P is expensive. Domains are hard to come by. Uh,
2: <laughs> that's the reason.
1: <laughs> well, the real reason is actually we wanted API in the the name. Uh, and so the original logo had API in gray, and everything else was in orange. Oh, I remember but that's that. Just, yeah, so it's just three engineers being too clever for our own good.
0: Was the notion immediately right away that they would be called Zaps, or was that sort of like an afterthought?
1: That was always the case. It's like, hey, we had our app directory at the time was called the Zapbook. Uh, and yeah, it's like you set up Zaps. Um, Zaps sound awesome. Zapes that sounds... I don't know. It sounds weird. (laughs) I feel like,
0: uh, zaping is a thing that I shouldn't do. Yeah. Zaping is what all the teenagers are
1: doing these days, right? It's (laughs) it's not good for them. No, Yeah, but zapping is fun.
0: It is. All right. Well, since we're into the show and for listeners who don't already know who you are, David, can you, uh, can you introduce our guest a little bit? Yeah. So Wade, uh, who we are super lucky to
2: have with us is the co-founder and CEO of Zapier, as we discussed a company that, to the best of our knowledge and on the internet, hasn't really raised uh, capital, or at least not capital like many of your peers, doesn't have an office, uh, doesn't have salespeople, and your product is connecting other people's products. Yet despite that, or maybe because of all that, it's actually one of the most interesting private SaaS companies in the world today. You guys have grown to over 50 million in profitable ARR in just seven short years, and um, we are super excited to have you here to dive into the whole story behind it thanks for joining us
0: yeah you're welcome you didn't say low code or no code, but there's this definite movement going on right now that sort of takes takes this notion of, you know, you don't have to, to overthink something and build something really robust and loop in your engineering team. And what you actually should do is just get something out that works. Zapier to me feels like one of the three companies that's always named when people are um, citing this, you know, sexy movement that's going on right now in, in low code, like number one, how do you think about that? And number two, sort of, what's it like when when a movement kind of falls in your lap like that, and you get lumped into, or maybe it was more intentional than that. I don't know. I, I should stop uh, naming it and let you uh, jump off that.
1: Well, certainly, no one called it no code in two thousand eleven when we started the company. Like that was not really a thing. Along the way, people have tried to name it. Um, you know, I heard uh, like citizen developer was one that like the the. Forrester or Gartner analysts like to use, which I know that I was like, eh, it's not quite right.
2: Are most of your users not developers, right?
1: Yeah, they're not developers. They're like, they're, they're software users. Like they use software to get their job done. So, you know, if you know how to use software, you, you know how to use Zapier is kind of the best way to describe it, I guess. Yeah, you probably need to have like a little bit of logic thinking. You know, you can think in sort of like, hey, when this thing happens, I want this other thing to happen. But that doesn't mean you're necessarily an engineer, um, at least not like a traditional software engineer, the way I think most people think about it. So it's been really fun because, yeah, in the last, I don't know, 18 months, 24 months, the no code thing, like it finally there's like a name to this that sort of stuck and feels good and like people are rallying behind it. Um, But it's something that's been happening for a long time. People have built companies off the back of Zapier that were non-technical founders for a long time. One of the things we're trying to do is democratize access to this stuff. You shouldn't have to be an engineer. You shouldn't have to be like the elite to make this stuff happen. These tools should be accessible to anybody.
2: This could sound wrong, because I want to be clear up front. Engineering is critically important. I don't mean to denigrate it at all. However, Mm -hmm. the we've gone just like i've seen it in the investing side of from over the last year from engineering is a absolute critical core competency you must have as part of a company from day one to yeah that's kind of a question mark it, it kind of depends what you're doing and if you're doing the right things like no you can use zapier you can use webflow you can use a bunch of stuff and get really far without it
1: totally
0: Do you have a favorite example of like someone who built something that even you were shocked where you were like, oh my God, you could do all this with zaps?
1: (laughs) I mean, you could just go like check out Ben Tossel's stuff on makerpad.co. Any of the things those people are building is just like, like blows my mind. They're building like Airbnb clones and job boards and Reddit clones and like all sorts of stuff off the back of. I like to call it AWZ, Airtable, Webflow, and Zapier.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
0: (laughs) Well, Wade, I'd I'd love to move here into uh, a little bit of a conversation about remote work. So you are uh, speaking to us from your home office, which is sort of your only office, and I think you guys are one of the most... uh, maybe vocal, probably the better way to put it is the the most, one of the top two or three most well-known companies who have pulled off uh, remote work. And when I say remote work, I mean fully distributed, fully remote company. So I'd love to launch into a little discussion there and say, how did that come to be? Did that sort of happen accidentally? Did that happen very intentionally? And then uh, then we can get into it a little bit.
1: Yeah. So it it wasn't, A like, you know, hey, what's the pros and cons checklist of having an office or not having an office? Um, I think a lot of people thought that it was like that, but really it was more like you have some cards that are dealt you, like what hand do you play? And in our case, at the tail end of YC, Mike was moving back to Missouri to be with his then girlfriend, now wife, as she was wrapping up law school. And we're not kicking him out because he's too important, and so we were just like hey we'll, we'll just go back to sort of working via you know chat and github pull requests and like trello boards and stuff like that because that's what we were doing before we had like all been in the same place that was a side project before uh so we were used to like kind of not working together and then a second thing happened at the same time which is we hired our first person and we would never hired anyone before and so we asked for advice. Hey, how would you go about de-risking this situation? And and some folks recommended just work with old colleagues, people that you already sort of trust and have a good working relationship with. And all those people are back in the Midwest. They're not in California. So we hired a a, a guy I'd worked with who was in Chicago. And then we hired another one who was in Columbia, Missouri. And so you know, five people were in three different cities. A couple things happened. Features kept getting shipped. Users kept signing up, uh, customers kept paying us.
0: The world didn't fall apart, and yeah, uh, the team was happy. Yeah,
1: yeah, the team was happy. Customers were happy. So, like all the sort of basics, like like this seems fine. Like it actually seems more than fine. It seems even good. Was so, uh,
2: was Silicon Valley orthodoxy like telling you you were crazy at this point?
1: oh, yeah, I mean, this is 2012, and, like, people are like, no company has ever been built this way, no one will ever buy you. This isn't going to um, scale, blah, blah, Yeah, blah. just all the sort of reasons why it wouldn't work. And we're just sort of here looking at it and being like, I mean, it's, you're not wrong that there's not big companies like this, but also it's working. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so we just said, like, I think we know something that other people don't know. We're just going to do it this way. And as a result, we'll be able to tap into a global talent pool and no one else will be doing this. And hey, that'll be good for us. And, you know, sorry for everybody else, I guess.
0: (laughs) Give us the pro-con list, sort of looking back. I mean, like life is all about trade-offs. So there's all these, you know, you get to tap the global talent pool and there's lots of great things. What are the trade-offs involved?
1: The biggest bummer of it all is how you celebrate like, epic moments you do it on zoom and so it's not the same as like all being in a room high fiving each other and just like you miss out on that so that I think is probably the biggest bummer for me
2: eric if you're uh, listening over at zoom this is a this is a feature you should you guys should build yes yeah, like how do
1: you make how do you make yeah that that moment feel better and we found ways to make it feel good like you know maybe we're 80 percent as good as being in being together but it's still not quite the same so i think honestly that's probably the biggest bummer there's a level of discipline that it requires that not a lot of people are willing to do um you know there's some communication overhead that you have to put the effort in on but i don't think that's actually a trade-off i actually think that's a good thing like as your company gets bigger anyway You're going to need that discipline. You're going to need to be good at communication. So I just think it forces you to think about that stuff earlier in your company's life cycle, which forces you, when you get there, you'll be better. You'll be more prepared for it. These skills make you good at any job, but in a remote work, they're sort of necessary.
2: So I have to ask. So you use Slack, you use Zoom, you use Google Drive, lots of other, you know, tools that are, you know, you've documented out there. But you also have this internal tool, Async, that you've built. As you describe it, it sounds awesome. Can you tell us like more <laughs> about it?
1: It's like a blog meets Reddit, I guess, is probably the best way to think about it. The biggest value it gives us is it's a place for like slower form communication, like more intentional thinking uh like company announcements key strategies things like that i find slack is so fast-paced the half-life of a slack message is like an hour like if you don't see it in the hour like might as well have not existed at all well it's Uh, not the right
2: medium to to document something thoughtful
1: it isn't really and so async is kind of the that you know that version of communication that's maybe like between a wiki and Slack, where like Wiki is very permanent. It's like, hey, this is sort of our forever documentation. But async is like, hey, what's important to us this week or this month? And it's slower form. An async post might live on for a full week or something like that, uh, maybe a little longer. We've made it somewhat dynamic. So right now the, the homepage is dynamic. So that it adjusts based on like, what's it like, hey, these are the posts that sort of everyone should look at. You have your own personal feed that's also dynamic based on who your manager is, who your teammates are, like other authors you read regularly. So it tries to like say, here's some other things that you should probably be paying attention to inside the company. And it just sort of allows everyone to like keep tabs on things that are like, you know, just take the blinders off a little bit, I guess.
0: Yeah. All right, wait. So how how can I license this thing?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, uh, not you can't right now, but like it has crossed our mind that like maybe this would be a good thing to sell.
0: <laughs> All right, one one last question on remote work. It has been uh, espoused that the folks over at GitLab um sort of have this belief that if we were to sell and we you know we want to be a company that ipos and they've been very public about documenting that if we were to sell the the prevailing wisdom is that a remote company takes a 50 percent haircut on valuation and this show is ostensibly about acquisition so i figured may as well ask the question do you do you have any thoughts on that like do you think it's true that there's some sort of valuation haircut that happens because you know, when an acquirer thinks there'll be higher attrition or something like that?
1: I think in 2012, yes, but today I think that's not even true. In fact, you might even be able to get a premium for it because I think companies are realizing that they're they're gonna need to be global companies. They're gonna need to work with distributed teams. And so an entirely distributed org is gonna be bring in an expertise that no like it's gonna be hard to build on your own. So I think there's an argument to be said that you might be able to get a premium for it.
2: Interesting. One last topic we'd be also totally remiss if we didn't cover related to that. Can you talk to us a little bit about your financing strategy at the company and capital raising and lack thereof? And, you know, see, you guys have raised less than $3 million in total, right? And are at well above a $50 million revenue run rate, you're profitable, you're cash flow positive, all this, you're an amazing company. Obviously that sounds amazing, but are there any trade-offs along the way as you, you know, looking back on all this that like making those decisions?
1: For us, I don't know that we traded off on anything. Like I think we, more money did not mean more success for us. We had other bottlenecks that we had to to take on and deal with. So money wasn't the trade-off for us. And, and so that's how we always thought about it, which was what's the blocker in our org? What's causing us to not get adoption in the market at a way that we want to get adoption? Like what's holding us, our, our mission back? And let's laser focus in on those things uh, and try and fix some of that stuff up first uh, rather than throwing more people. Because really what you're talking about when you're raising money is you're saying, hey, let's throw more people at this problem. We didn't feel like more people at it is the the solution.
2: You're either saying more more people more fixed costs or you, or, or you're saying lots of companies are doing this now more variable costs more marketing dollars.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. Like I mean, you could just throw a bunch of marketing spend <laughs> at it and like lose all that money. Right. Um, which maybe is a I mean, that's how like, you know, Casper and some of these other companies have built their business, but you know, look what's happened to them. Like right. that's exactly. clearly not a great way to build a business. <laughs>
0: All right, listeners, if you want to listen to the full episode, you can check out the rest by clicking the link in the show notes or going to glow.fm acquired and all new limited partners get a seven day free trial. Thanks and talk to you next time.